you seen a picture of me? Oh, so you don't even know what my picture's gonna be like? Mm, I've cut down the water colours on the bottom. My knees aren't showing, are they? Uh, the wa- yeah, the water is showing. My knees. But I can store it on my laptop. Okay, it'll it's okay actually, you don't worry. Just tell me when to go. picture and is it showing uh, my hats over there? Yeah. It is, yeah? Yeah, but it's not matching me. Definitely. Yeah. But it's just showing like uh, books and stuff, yeah? Yeah. And the Do the you want me to move it? I can move it. No, no. Uh, as Put long it as back it's on the preview. As long as it's not showing the thingy. What, what, what did it show? Just like Yeah, for the sunglasses at the top. Yeah, that's right. You can move it. You can't move anything, right? Okay, just put everything to the floor. Yeah, all onto the floor, that's it. Fine, follow. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen, Allahumma salli wa sallim wa baraka ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'ina, Allahumma la sahla illa ma ja'altahu sahla wa anta taj'ulu al-hasna ita shi'ta sahla Allahumma a'inna ala dhikrika wa shukrika wa husni ibadatika ya rabbil kareem Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh So first of all I want to just apologize to the folks in Chido up until an hour ago, this uh, this class was meant to be in Chido, um, but uh, we had a problem with the, um, the with the internet, with the uh, with the download, with the upload speed. So, um, therefore, we have to do it from this location, and uh, here the upload should be fine, and it will mean that everyone else will be able to download it properly. But um, just for 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 just it's just gonna have to be like this. So. I do apologize. I'm just around the corner from the masjid, but um, I wasn't able to. Uh, we weren't able to upload it from the masjid. So those in the masjid are now watching it on the main screen, and everyone else, of course, is joining us uh, live. Uh, so Jazakumullah khair for uh, understanding that. I apologize. Uh, all right then. So, um, oops, uh, I think where we are. Uh, page three of the notes, and um, it shares on the on the thing. Google kind of hangout thing or whatever. No, no it's just a pure direct uh, transmission. Um, 
so maybe if someone can uh in the comment section just confirm because uh, i'm just i've lost my i've lost my track here but i do believe that we are at the top of page uh, 215 in the commentary and that he washes his two feet until the uh, uh, until the uh, uh, ankles uh, but but I'm just not sure about that so because I can't remember whether we did that or not but I think we did I, I mean I don't think we did so I'm just going I'm just gonna take it from there because I don't think we did so uh, the text then would be okay um, on page three in the notes then the text would be uh, then he washes his feet up to and including the ankles okay so uh, all right that's right in the middle of the Arabic and then the Arabic continues okay and that is translated basically that and we're just obviously finishing off the, the description of wudu this description was a comprehensive one as you know it was one that was including um, the uh, uh, sunnah and the obligatory aspects uh, that then he washes his feet up to and including the ankles if there is a limb which has been cut the remaining obligatory aspect of it is washed if the limb has been cut from the joint then one washes the head of that upper arm or joint it depends where the cut is then one raises his gaze to the sky and then makes dua invocates with that which has been narrated uh, it is permissible to assist one with their wudu and it is permissible to dry one's limbs all right so that's the that's the uh the text um in the uh in the matan of Zad al rahmatullah. Now, then, for what Sheikh Luthaymin says. So he says, okay, as for Imam al Hajjawi's statement of washing the feet up until and including the ankles, then he goes, first of all, we will, we will say, we'll say the same thing that as we said about مرفقين, that the ma'a is, um, that the ma'a which has been used the the letter ma'a is not trying to be different to what it says in the quran of course allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the quran ilal ka'bain wa ilal mirfaqin okay ilal mirathiq <laughs> sorry i just made up an ayah there ilal mirathiq okay allah says in the quran ila and um allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says ilal ka'bain meaning up until the up until including the ankles and as we mentioned weeks weeks before that the word ila here means with including all of it together and the uh, Sheikh Imam al-Hajjawi in the text he is and because obviously when you use ila then you're going to have to put in a process and say well actually ila here means with and that's because of this reason and that reason and this evidence and that evidence so he's cutting all that out and he's basically saying look he goes what we're trying to say is ma'a it's with up until and including the uh, elbow the uh, ankles as well so this is uh, what he says um, and he says and of course this is from the ayah and also the hadith of Hurairah anhu, that he made wudu and then he washed his arms until and he washed his uh, arms until he was already getting right up into the upper arm the adud. adud is in Arabic is the upper arm this part here 
what's that called the bicep upper arm i think it is isn't it the upper arm obviously bicep is when we start to specify this part and then tricep at the bottom and stuff but i mean the upper arm is the entire arm so the adult means it's gone right up into the upper arm past the actual um elbow and um and in the same narration he had and he goes that he washed his feet until ashra'a means he's like started into gone into all right the sark which is the shin so so the even when he's washing the feet you know how it is you wouldn't just kind of like uh, i mean the idea basically would be that you wouldn't let the water just kind of if this was the foot just kind of play up the hair and then you just rub the ankle but you'd play the water right up to the ankle bone and then use your hand to go right above the ankle right into the start point of the shin and maybe you know a couple of inches into the shin that's the kind of thing we're talking about a couple of inches in uh, uh all the time 10 centimeters odd you know in each time and when he did that he said he goes that's exactly how i saw the messenger of allah sallallahu do his wudu meaning that exaggeration that that desire to become from those people who are uh will be denoted by their bright shining spots that hadith is narrated by muslim he goes and so therefore we can conclude that when it comes to washing the feet we must include the ankles and the ankle bones are obviously the ones at the side and not that whatever it was called what was it called canicula or canicula or something like that the one at the front the shia one anyway all right um and sheikh tamin says it's an, an obligation to wash them and uh, uh, to wash the feet an obligation and he goes this is a matter of ijma'a i mean consensus of ahl sunnah have you noticed again as we talked about this before how the language is very very different it's a very theological language okay this is the consensus of the people of the sunnah which is basically indicating that the people of bid'ah now don't uh, are not involved in this and he goes because allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the ayah uh, because allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says faghsilu wujuhakum wa aydiyakum ila al-marafiq wa msahu bi ru'usikum wa arju' lakum ila al-ka'bayn we talked about this okay go back and review the notes the notes that i talked about are up by the way it was about three lessons or four lessons ago where I went to in detail talking about the difference between arjulakum and arjulikum. And arjulakum is the one which is the widespread qira'a. As Shaykh Uthameen, he says, yani this qira'a bin nasab. Bin nasab means that with fatha, with zabar, you know, zabar at the top, a sound, yep. Wa arjulakum, this nasab is connected to wujuhakum and yani your faces and what is the action to do with the faces but wash because allah says فَغْسِلُوا وُجُوهَكُمْ wash your وُجُوهَكُمْ your faces and the only next time that the fatha comes is لَكُمْ so therefore أَرْجُلَكُمْ your feet wash is connected to the verb of wash um and we describe that in 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 detail and the sheikh says he goes this is the this is according to the seven uh, 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 the seven recitations of the the seven authentic established recitations of the Quran, uh, the Qira'ah, the Qira'ah as we call. It. There's a difference between a Qira'ah and then the Riwaya. So, for example, we recite, yani, you know, when we recite normal Quran, normal, you know, packs basically packs Arabs and the majority of the world, we recite Hafs and Asim. Asim is the uh, Qira'ah and the Riwaya is Hafs. 
okay and so the riwayat of course are more than the qiraat but the qiraat are the seven authentic qiraat are as we uh, discussed in last uh, the last lesson he goes as for wa يعني, he goes, and also we should say that when you recite it with a kasra, وَأَرْجُلِكُمْ Alright, this is also an authentic qira'ah according to all of the seven imams. You will find it, you will find it in, in seven of the qira'at uh, as well. It is mutawatir, it is established, it is يعني, no doubt about it. Therefore, we have both of these options, أَرْجُلَكُمْ and أَرْجُلِكُمْ He goes, we get three things out of this. Or we we, 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 we we have to look at three things. Um, I I think we can we can we can. Because this, okay, uh, I, I, I'll just summarize basically what Sheikh Hussein says. He goes, there's three points to notice here when, when you have the recitation with the kasra saying arjulikum. The first one he goes is that the arjulikum with the kasra indicates that it is being connected with something very close to it in the sentence, which has also got a kasra. And in this case, it is ru'usikum, okay, ru'usikum. And this ru'usikum, okay, your heads, the command to do something with your heads before is what? This is is making mash, okay? Allah subhanahu wa taala said with the when it comes to the head, wamsahu biruusikum. So uh, wipe your heads, and so therefore it being close to that, okay? It being close to that means that it will then take its in in its in Arabic language. We will make sure that because it's closest to that, we will investigate that uh, when you're looking. Uh, when you're trying to work out why it is that a uh, you know in Arabic grammar, when you're trying to work out why it is that a certain letter has a particular diacritical mark, because this is what they're called the diacritical mark, right, uh, or intonation of the actual a e o. When you're trying to identify what the reason is, what is it that's caused that? What's the the verb that's caused that? What's the grammatical structure which has caused that? Well, for that you need to actually go back into the sentence and find that. And normally you identify it by finding the the closest word which has the the same structure so when it comes to arjulikum when we start going back word by word in this in the uh, in the ayah in the sentence ru'usikum is the one that we look at we find and when we look at why ru'usikum has been has been turned into that majrur we find that it's because it has the harf ba before it and it is connected to the wiping and so therefore we know therefore that the the reason that it's arjulikum is because of the verb for wiping. And in the other qira'ah, we do the same for arjulakum. We're trying to find out why is it got a fatha? Why is it got a fatha when the word before it is ru'usikum? So we go back and we miss out ru'usikum, we come back and then we come to faqsilu wujuhakum. And so we realize that ah, this is connected to the verb for washing. So then we uh, we we then know that this is to do with uh, uh, washing. Okay, the second point, that's the first point. That's how to identify uh, and understand why it is that a word is actually majroor. When we say in Arabic majroor, okay, it means it has the, uh, it has the kasra on it, the e sound. All right, the, um, the second point that the sheikh uh, says 
and the Qur'an al-Nasab dallat ala wujub ghasl rijlain he said that that when we have the uh, 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 fatha on it okay the fatha meaning the arjulakum then this indicates that it is an obligation to wash the feet an obligation to wash the feet as for when it is qiraat of jar okay Sheikh basically says, he says that when it comes to the actual, um, when we when we change the the kasra, when we sorry when we change the diacritical mark from fatha to kasra, then we are also we are also basically make we are also basically saying that make sure that your mash is as complete as the ghusl, okay. Um, I don't think that there is uh, actually it's not really a point that's being made uh, that um, it's not being uh, I don't I don't Allah I mean the actual point that's being made from that I read this before and I, I, I didn't appreciate what was being said there and I don't appreciate anymore now either anyway more al-muhim I don't think that there's a major point there. Or maybe I'll have to look at it and see what, what, what's the actual point that's being made. Let's move on to point three. He goes that um, the, the third point to take from the fact that we have arjulikum as opposed to arjulikum is that there are two qira'ah. Both of them have been, uh, have been revealed and each of them refer to a specific scenario of the foot. Okay? So he's basically saying, وَلِلْرِجِلْ halan. He goes, for the foot we have two possible states it can be in either it is uh, uncovered or it is covered okay if it's uncovered meaning naked okay no sock or anything like that then you must wash it that's it that's what the ayah is saying all right that if your foot is uncovered then arjulakum is basically saying to you that look your foot's uncovered is there right in front of you you have to wash it he goes or your foot is covered okay um if it is covered it is covered either by a khuf and a khuf is a, a, a leather sock, um, a solid leather sock, flexible, which goes, I'm sure you've seen it already, and it reaches above the ankle, okay? So it covers the entire foot and it goes up to above the ankle. And Sheikh says that your foot is either going to be covered something like that or anything other than that, like a sock, okay? Um, he goes, when that happens, then it is an obligation to wipe that foot. It's an obligation to wipe that foot by the command, by the command of wiping. You see, basically what point two was, let me summarize, basically, is that what the Sheikh said is that the when Allah says, it is an obligation to wash the feet. He goes, but the same way when it becomes this ruling doesn't change. It's an obligation also to wipe the foot. But then he went into a much more, he just took that point 
beyond necessary meaning in my opinion it just that is that is the point he wants to make that the second the second point here is that just as washing them is obligatory if you have something covering it then you wiping also becomes obligatory so the third point is to explain that each recitation is for a two specific scenarios of the foot either for washing or either for wiping and so therefore he goes for he goes that and and he goes so these are the this is the reason why these two karabin this is the wisdom basically he's saying that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent down these two recitations basically to make it easier for us basically to allow us to be uh, able to be in control and you know as we said last time just how convenient it is to subhanahu to be able to wipe over our socks and obviously we're going to talk about that in a lot of detail um in the section coming the wash the, the wiping and the washing ayat uh two different karaat cover both of them and make it obligatory in each case. And he goes that the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, meaning his action has established that. Meaning that he himself used to wipe over his foot and he also used to um, used to wash it um, as well. Okay. Um, so he goes, so therefore to conclude, he goes the ayah itself is just basically indicating that one, one wipes over the leather socks. And this is, as we said, uh, similar to what we talked about in Al-Fatiha, Maliki, Yawmiddin and Malik. The difference between an owner and a king, each one by themselves is deficient. Having both options there and combining them in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes them supreme and perfect. Likewise, when it comes to washing our feet, it's one of those things, subhanAllah, that is a major mission. Okay, because obviously, um, you know, we're walking on them, it, they can, when they're wet, they get dirtier, more easier, and so on and so forth. And, you know, we're in uh, difficult scenarios traveling, and it can get, you know, uh, wet, as you know, it's a bloody disaster. Nothing worse yani, in the world than going into the wudu area with your socks on and it's all get soaked. Yani, it's, it's suicidal behavior that is. But I mean, alhamdulillah, the two options are basically there to allow us to uh, do our wudu in the easiest way. Okay, so then the sheikh says, He goes that uh, if there is a limb which has been cut, then the remaining obligatory aspect of it is washed. Okay, so uh, Sheikh al he goes, Sheikh Al-Uthaymeen, he goes, um, he goes uh, that what Imam Al-Hajjawi, rahimahullah, he means is the one who's had his hand chopped off, basically, or, you know, he's had a hand severed or whatever. Yani, uh, something's happened to it. So he goes that, basically, the rest of the, uh, uh, um, yani, it's a bit obvious, but basically he's saying that you only wash your you only wash the actual um what you've got you wouldn't wash the hand would you <laughs> it's gone and you wash only what you have the entire the uh the uh he gives an example to make, make it easier he goes let's say let's say that for some reason you had an accident we're not talking about sharia punishment here by the way because this couldn't happen in a sharia it's not permissible to cut the hand right there in the in the in the middle okay that's not permissible but Let's say that a person had an accident and he has got like half of his forearm, okay? He's got half of his uh, forearm. He goes that basically, Sheikh Uthameen says that you do not, um, when you're, wa he goes, so just watch my arm, okay? So let's just assume, yeah, okay. So let's just assume that I have got, I've got my arm, my, my hand cut off here. So what you might think is that because, so I'm missing this much, yeah? this much i'm missing that much okay so if you start here you might think that i have to now make up for this distance up here all right 
So I start here and I have to wash all the way up here because I have to wash like an arm's length. You know what I'm saying? And so what, what the text is basically saying, what Sheikh Nusaymin is saying, he says that no, if you start here, you still go up to your elbow, including the elbow. You don't kind of compensate for this kind of chopped off part, whatever the reason was, you don't compensate for it by going higher. It's not about distance, it's about what you have. That's basically the way I can put it, okay? Um, and, he, and Sheikh says, because the adult, the upper arm, is not a place to wash the arm. Where, and um, and indeed, what you wash is what you're, you have. What is the obligation? And that's the only thing you have, which is obligated. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, I'm sure Allah as much as you possibly can. And this is the most thing that you can do. This is definitely uh, uh, all you can do. You shouldn't be doing it... And, and he also says that basically anything which has been cut off, of course, that, that obligation to wash that is gone. But not only has the obligation to wash that item, that, that not item, <laughs> that limb, uh, has, not only has that obligation gone, but also you don't need to make up for it in another place. And then he goes, and then Sheikh says, um, and if the limb has been cut from the joint, then one washes the head of that upper arm or joint. Okay. Yeah, and is that um, so basically what that means all right is that if i had my arm okay like this and my arm my my hand is cut off for whatever reason then you'll know that basically it will then kind of you know heal like that i have a stump so i have to wash that stump that entire stump just like i would wash my fingers so the entire stump gets washed all right okay and he goes, likewise, if I have it done here, okay, which is the other one. So if I have my forearm taken off completely, then I've got the joint there that will, it will heal over right there. Okay. Likewise, I still have to wash this head. That's what he's saying. So if I, I don't know, someone like this. Yep. So I've got only, I've only got that as an, as an arm. So this, I'm like this, like one arm or whatever it's called. Okay. Then here, I would just have to wash that. Just that. So that's an obligation. So anyone you know who's got that, then you can let them know that if they have just that, then they just wash that part. All right. Okay. And uh, Sheikh says, and has previously we covered that it is an obligation to wash the hands right up until the elbow and the head of the upper arm, which is the, the head, the joint, I don't know what this joint is called, but this is the, this would be the joint, elbow joint. I don't know if this whole arm was gone. The joint for this upper arm is there, and that's an obligation to wash. Okay, and he basically says, and of course, if you had your arm cut off here, okay, like let's say right across the the bicep, okay, and so therefore there's it's like you know it's like amputated or something like that, then there's no washing at all because you are above the elbow, so you don't wash anything. All right, and he goes, it's exactly the same for the foot as well, exactly the same principle. So the foot. If you had a stump where your ankles were, then you would wash the stump, okay? And if it was less, then you would wash the less. And if there was your foot was cut off yani above the ankles, then there would be no washing uh, whatsoever. And the sheikh says, وَحَاكَذَا بِالنَّسْبِ لِلْأُذُنِ Okay, this is a bit old, a bit old, bit gross at the moment, but he goes, if you have your ears, for example, and half of it's cut off, okay, or all of it's cut off, if he goes, if half of it's cut off, 
then you would wipe your yani, the so let's say that oh, this top part of my ear is gone all right so then you would just wipe this part and that's it okay he goes if the entire ear is gone all right which subhanallah i've seen actually uh, especially burn victims isn't it i think I, th I think this i think it's very weak or very thin i think it burns easily so i think people in fire they lose their ears quickly or something i'm not sure but um then he goes that you would then oh, you'd still have your ear a hole wouldn't you he goes you'll just do that and we, as we said before we believe that our only obligation in wudu is to actually put the finger in the ear and uh, and uh, that that will be suffice but here obviously that's the only thing that you would have now now we move on to the statement then one raises his gaze to the sky and then invocates makes dua basically with that which has been uh, narrated okay so this is interesting now sheikh al-uthameen he goes this is a sunnah in sah al-hadith he goes that this is a, the, the fraction of the prophet as long as the hadith that is used okay in what has been narrated is authentic then of course it becomes a sunnah and that is what has been narrated from the prophet because he said said that whoever makes the wudu and perfects it, whoever makes wudu and perfects that wudu, does it really proper, and then he lifts his uh, he, he lifts his eyes to the uh, he lifts his eyes to the sky. Okay, he looks up to the sky, like this. Uh, and he says, "Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah, wahdahu la sharika la, wa ashhadu anna Muhammadan abduhu wa rasuluhu." That's what he says. If he says this, okay, then all of the uh, all of the heaven, all of the the eight gates to heaven will be opened for him, and he can enter from uh, anyone that he wishes. This is the hadith. Okay. Now, Sheikh Uthaymin. He says that in this chain, uh, there is someone who is majhul. Now, وَفِي سَنَدِهِ majhul. Okay. وَالْمَجْهُولِ لَا يُعْلَمْ حَالَهُ هَلْ هُوَ حَافِظٌ أَوْ عَدْلٌ أَوْ لَيْسَ كَذَلِكُ وَإِذَا كَانَ فِي السَّنَدِ مَجْهُولٌ هُوَ كَمَا بِضَعْفِ الْحَدِيثِ Majhul basically comes from jahl. And jahl, as you know, means to be ignorant, to not know something. Majhul is the thing which is unknown, which is something which is not known. So when someone is unknown in a chain, let me tell you what happens from a hadith point of view. If we, if 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 the chain is absolutely authentic all the way to the companion, then it doesn't matter because not knowing the companion, okay, but making sure that the chain is already super authentic up until then, it doesn't matter because the Prophet's companions, all of them, okay, all of them without exception, as because are considered are considered a, a, a thicker, meaning considered to be trustworthy. They don't lie. They don't have agenda or anything like that. They're not part of group think, trying to promote things or whatever, whatnot. And so therefore, even though they are unknown, it doesn't matter. The whole point of being unknown, being a problem, is that you don't know if the guy is a good guy or a bad guy. You don't know whether he's an imam or whether he is a hafiz of hadith or whether he doesn't know anything. Whether he's, you know, John around the corner, whether he's Muhammad the, the doorkeeper, or whether he is Sufyan al-Thawri or Imam Ahmed bin You just don't know. But if, for example... Let's say that you walked into, uh, I mean, I mean, if you if you, but if you've got a small set sample, okay, of people, ten people, and every single one of them are scholars, and you know definitely one of them said it, okay, 
definitely want these 10 and all 10 are absolutely perfect it actually doesn't matter who the individual is we'll say one of them said it and it's therefore authentic so i want you to know that the principle uh in hadith sciences when it comes to the companions is that even if any one of them is unknown majhul then it's no problem but when we talk about majhul uh, there's a majhul in the sanad there's a majhul an unknown person in the chain we are always referring to somewhere later down the chain never never towards a companion and so therefore Sheikh Al-Uthaynin says that when you find someone majhul in the chain and he's not known then this is a sign of weakness and therefore we have to rule on the hadith that it is weak that it is weak and um, let's have a quick look at this, the Sanad uh, footnote number one it has been narrated by Imam Ahmed and by Imam Abu Dawood in his in the chapter of purification what a person should, should say when he makes wudu it's been narrated by Ibn Sunni and it has been all narrated all on the via the, the via the way the tariq of uh, of Abu Aqil okay of Abu Aqil and an Ibn Amnihi from his uh, from his <laughs> from his cousin okay from his cousin and Uqbat Ibn Amir and Umar Bihi wa Ibn Amr Abi Aqil hadha ubhim wa lam yusamma yani this chain basically is uh, Abu Aqil who is narrating from his cousin who is narrating from, from Uqbat Ibn Amr okay Sahabi who is narrating from uh, Sayyidina Umar himself Ibn Khattab the problem here is that the cousin we don't know who he is we don't know who he is at all and so therefore we're not able to give a ruling on it um, Ali ibn al-Madini now Ali ibn al-Madini okay he said that this hadith is Hassan all right meaning this hadith is acceptable it's a fair hadith and that's a big statement because Ali ibn al-Madini is as you know the teacher the shaykh of Imam al-Bukhari he's from the major major muhaddithin and not only if you go back to the lessons that we did last year he's not just a muhaddith he's a naqid uh, from the nuqad uh, he's from the hadith critics the very highest level much higher than the muhaddith he, is the, he has the ability to be able to look at hadith and criticize them just by any smelling them you know what i'm saying he's like next level so uh yeah that's a big statement of course all right um and ibn hajar al-asqalani sheikh al-islam ibn hajar al-asqalani our sheikh he said he goes that from this angle, from the way that this has been narrated, this hadith is Hassan, inshallah. He goes, he goes, and you know what? As it is, basically, it is Hassan. Because we can identify this cousin with some kind of ideas. We're not sure which one it is, but pretty much all of his cousins were okay. You see what, what he's trying to say? This is this is fascinating, actually. He goes that we know who the, the, the cousins of Abu Aqil were. All right? And uh, the problem is, of course, is that they're not all the same. They are all good men, all righteous practicing men, scholars. But some of them were top, 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 and others were basic kind of guys. And because we don't know which one of his cousins were the one who narrated it, then we're just going to have to unfortunately assume the lowest common denominator, meaning like the weakest of them, the poorest of them. And he goes, and even if we did that, then this would actually make the hadith hasan, would make it acceptable. He goes, now he goes, the shame is, is that if it wasn't for this yani, unknown situ situation, this hadith would be according to the, sh the conditions of Imam al-Bukhari in his Sahih. Meaning this hadith could be from the most authentic of a hadith. Alright. Um, uh, because, because, and why is that? Why does he say that? He says that because Because Imam al-Bukhari you see, let me tell you something. Imam al-Bukhari's book, Sahih al-Bukhari, is next level. Next level for many reasons. One of the reasons is that not just because the hadith are super authentic, 
and we look into it and we learn hadith because we know they are the pillars of our religion. But we also look to the men of Bukhari. Because what we can say to ourselves is that not just yani, the hadith of Bukhari, because when you know when you quote hadith and you say it's Bukhari and everyone goes, whoa, okay, yani, it's Bukhari. Yani. All right? You know how everyone's humbled. Likewise, if you come across a guy and we say that's one of the men of Bukhari, meaning that's one of the guys that Bukhari actually uses to narrate his hadith, we know just how meticulous Imam Bukhari was. The people have to meet each other. They have to be living in the same time, in the same city. They have to have established meetings. They have to be the most highest quality of in religion. They must have the most highest knowledge, blah, 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 blah. And every single possible condition you can put in a person can't be known to have lied before, deceit, blah, blah. All of the things that you expect at the very highest integrity, quality individual, Imam Bukhari has to go through all of that before he includes him into his sahih. That's why if he hadn't done that, then we wouldn't have had trust in the Sahih. But because we know he's done that, then everyone just closes their eyes and takes any hadith in Bukhari and we believe in it. We don't even need to read it. Don't even need to understand it. We believe in it. So that's, that quality is earned. And so that respect is earned. And so therefore, when a person is narrating hadith from Bukhari, he is called one of the men of Bukhari. Ibn Hajar basically says, he goes, Ukhbar ibn Amr, of course, and uh, Umar ibn Khattab and Abu Aqil, these are, uh, these are ruwa, these are narrators of um, narrators of Bukhari. He goes, so if it wasn't just for this guy that we don't know, then this hadith would have passed all of Bukhari's conditions as well. Which, wallahi, is a good statement. Good statement. Um, yeah, okay. Anyway, Al-Muhim. Now, back to what Shaykh Al-Uthaymin says. He goes, well, fuqaha, the jurists, rahimahumullah, banu ahad al-hukm ala ahad al-hadith, wa ala ta'lil, wa huwa, he goes that, the fuqaha, of course, now I want you to know that the fuqaha are not the muhaddithin. The fuqaha are jurists, yes, they are the people of fiqh. Their speciality is to look at a hadith or look at a piece of information and understand deep, you know, consequences, correlations, causality, the relationships, and trying to work out any principles and istidrak, this, that, blah, blah, and look at the tabu. Yani they, 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 they are able to dive into it and see crazy stuff, right? They're able to derive, derive amazing points. That's the skill of the fuqaha. They give legal rulings. They find solutions. Whereas the muhaddithin, they are the people who are specialists in narration. They're specialists in knowing facts and figures. They can see, you know, they memorize yani, people and their names and who they met and who they didn't, who's a student of who and yani, who considered him to be weak. And they remember the incidents yani, and they remember the, the statements of criticism against the person so that he's to be rejected, etc., etc. And so they are both two separate skills. It's very, very, very rare that you'll find someone who combines the skill of being a faqih from the fuqaha and a muhaddith from the muhaddithin in the same person. Bukhari was one of them. Bukhari is from the fuqaha. Okay? And some people won't like that, but he is from the fuqaha. And of course, he's a muhaddith. But in principle, you're not able to combine uh, the, the, the two skills. So I want you to know that the muhaddithin are obviously going to be more stick, uh, they're going to be sticklers for accuracy. They're going to be much more focused on authenticity and they're going to want to know their sources and, and, and to write as well. Whereas the fuqaha are like, yeah, you know what? The authenticity ain't all that, to be honest. As long as we've got some basic principles, it's a, for us it's about ruling and supporting evidences and being able to help support my opinion in establishing this or that, whatever. So the fuqaha have a different kind of agenda, different kind of agenda, a different kind of focus, yeah, different kind of uh, priorities, priorities. So having said that, okay, you will often find that the fuqaha will kind of turn a blind eye. I don't say that intentionally, but they will kind of say, you know what, hadith is not that weak. It's okay, it's good enough for us. And they use this hadith, and they said that there's no real kind of problem against it. And the, the kalimat of shahada yani, is something which is established 
and uh, uh, it's not something it's not bringing new information it's not yani, super super weak this hadith um, it doesn't have someone who's fabricated uh, a narration in the chain it's not da'if jiddan and they're also saying that also what's being said is not something which is against the principles of sharia of course uh, Sheikh Al-Azimin he always will never miss an opportunity to establish the aqidah of Ahl Sunnah and so he therefore says and even in this narration the fuqaha they said look there's an evidence for the uh, for the proof that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is above the heavens now of course this is a very serious matter okay because if you're if you're looking up to the skies then that's because you are this is our fitrah when we look towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala we can't see him he sees us um, he is of course uh, above his throne in a manner which befits his majesty that's not just some rhetoric by the way some kind of cliche line that you just memorize you know when you're studying aqidah 101 that's actually what we believe allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says he is the one who did istawa ala al-arsh, which means establish himself above the throne in a manner which befits him and that's where he himself has has uh has established his his own majesty he is the one who sends down the rain comes down to the asma dunya he's the one who Everything goes up, uh, okay. Everything goes up, uh, the the isra, the miraj. The evidence is I know this is not aqid lesson, but the evidence is for Allah being above the above the heavens and not being part of the creation, like the deviant Sufis who believe that He's everywhere. Uh, the Sufi belief, there's different levels of that yani uh, variation, um, uh, and I don't want to really go into that now. But of course, some of them believe that He is everywhere. Others believe that He uh, is all in one with the creation and all this kind of pantheistic nonsense and so on. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, according to Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah, is above his throne, above the heavens and high. And this is called the ulu, the ulu, the, the highness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Al-Ali al-Kabir, the high, the magnificent. So the concept of al-ulu is to be uh, above the heavens, uh, subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now, uh, so where I just 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 want to say that that statement itself is not good enough and not authentic enough for us to use after wudu, but the idea though uh, has still been established that even in the weak hadith, the people know the ulama know that in basic principle Allah subhanahu wa taala is high al ulu, but he should say wa yaqulma walad. Sheikh says on page two hundred nineteen, what is narrated? He should say that has which has been narrated. What has been narrated? I'll tell you what's been narrated authentically. The hadith of Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu anhu. He said, Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah wa ashhadu anna muhammadan abduhu wa rasuluh. Allahumma ja'alni min al-tawabin wa ja'alni min al-mutahhirin. Sayyidina Umar ibn al-Khattab, he said, After you say this, Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah wa ashhadu anna muhammadan rasulullah wa ashhadu anna muhammadan abduhu wa rasuluh. Allahumma ja'alni min al-tawabin wa ja'alni min al-mutahhirin. Once you say this, فَإِنَّ مَنْ أَسْبَغَ الْوُضُوءَ ثُمَّ قَالَ هَذَا الذِّكْرِ فُتِحَتْ لَهُ أَبْوَابُ الْجَنَّةِ الْحَتْمَانِيَةِ يَدْخُلُ مِنْ أَيِّهَا شَاءٍ He goes that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said that whoever says this then and he has perfected his wudu then he will be able to enter from any of the doors of or any of the eight gates of paradise let him choose what he wishes and this narration is different to the previous one and it is more authentic it's been narrated by Muslim it's been narrated by Imam Muslim in the book of purification the, the recommended dhikr after, uh, uh, after at the end of wudu okay at the end of wudu and what's very interesting this has been narrated by now, now i'll tell you what's what's fascinating and we'll close on this um what's fascinating is that the um uh, uh what's it called the um 
uh, even though this hadith has been narrated in Muslim, there is some discussion among the scholars about actually what uh, is the truth about the complete narration. So listen, listen to listen to this. Um, basically, number one, this hadith has been narrated in Sahih Muslim as only Ashhadu Allah ilaha illallah wa Ashhadu anna Muhammadan abduhu wa rasul. That's it. That's what's been narrated in Muslim. Allah majalim al-tawabin wa jalim al-mutahirin is not part of the hadith in Muslim. Is that clear? It's not part of the hadith in Muslim. Imam Tirmidhi says he goes that the chain of this hadith has some issues. There's yani some some yani atrab. There's there's some there's some issues there. Okay. Ibn Hajar said the this ziyada this increase of Allah majalim al-tawabin. Oh Allah make me from the people who repent. Oh Allah make me from the people who purify. This little atawabin wa mutahirin. This uh, this addition is not actually part of the original narration. Lam tathbut, yani has not been established. Okay, and he goes the reason for that, and he goes you can see that 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 in Jafar Muhammad Sheikh Tirmidhi tafarrud biha, walam yadbat al isnad fa innahu asqat bin Ibn Amr, bin Ibn Amr, bin Khatan, bil mu'adlan wa khalaf kull man Basically, Ibn Hajar basically concludes, he goes that, frankly, this uh, this increased narration has only been narrated by one way, and it is going against all of the other narrations that has preserved it, um, as only Ashadu Allah illa illa wa Ashadu Anna Muhammadan Abduhu wa Rasuluh. He goes, and this is the, the, the fascinating part, he goes, if you actually study the chain where it has the full Allahumma ja'alim al-tawabin as well, he goes that there's a break in the chain. In fact, we have a double break in the chain. He goes, therefore, this has to be considered weak. And so, therefore, we can only really d- depend upon the portion in Muslim. The muhaqqiq then carries on, though. He goes, but there is a supporting evidence, though. And he is da'if. So, he goes, there is another supporting narration, which has been narrated by Ibn Sunni. But in that, narr- in that chain, we have a person called Abu Sa'ad al-Baqqal. Abu Sa'ad. Al-Baqqal, and this person is weak. He is weak. Because we have another way of narrating this hadith, another narration as well, another root, and this is what has been narrated by Imam Tabrani in a book called Al-Awsab, and this is via the way of Al-A'mash, okay? And Salim and Abdi Al-Ja'ad and Thawban. And he, uh, and uh, Thawban, and he goes that these three that are connected, okay, even Hajar said, Salim never heard. Salim ibn Abdi Al-Ja'ad did never, never heard any narration from Thawban. Uh, and basically, basically, Ibn Hajar is saying that we do not have the evidences to establish this authentically at all. This ziyada, this increase in the um, uh, in this uh, hadith. Anyway, I'm going to uh, uh, I'm going to stop there because um, uh, there there are some discussions what I want to release, and I should have done this before. I wanted to release so I don't. I didn't get too much time to prepare for this uh, lesson, so apologies for that uh, in terms of the quality and stuff. But I did want to release a um, a more formal piece of paper with the authentic narrations that have been collected. Because I've done a um, long time ago, subhanAllah, maybe 12, 11, 12 years ago, we did a research into the adhkar ba'd al-wudu. And I want to find that because I'm sure I rewrote that sometime. 
and uh, I'd like to release it, or maybe on the a mailing list or something like that. I'll send it out so that we can go through that zikr, just like a little departure. Be good as well, you know. Be good to to kind of uh, step away from the kind of illegal kind of fiqh uh, uh, side. So I uh, will call it there. Um, so again, apologies for uh, the uh, well at home you're buzzing because, and uh, although it's a bit of a quiet experience, only a couple of folks here, but the uh, uh, feudal massive masakin they came down. And, uh, you know, it's good though, subhanAllah, because if, if I would try to contact them uh, and uh, told them to stay at home and watch it, they have to watch it again. I know it. I know these types, man. <laughs> yeah. So, any questions on the thingy? Yeah. Sure. Question number one What is muhaqqiq again? So, a muhaqqiq, okay, is the person who does tahqiq. The muhaqqiq is the one who does tahqiq. Tahqiq from, comes from the, the fi'l, the verb, haqqaqa, yuhaqqiqu, tahqiqan, fahuwa muhaqqiqun. That the one who uh, uh, finds the truth. Haqq is the original verb. Haqqaqa is the one who establishes that truth, establishes authenticity. Okay, so the muhaqqiq is the one who authenticates something. Now the job of the muhaqqiq, okay, is either to establish um, statements of the scholars to establish exactly what the ruling is, or he will identify, um, uh, or he identify sources which by themselves establish the authenticity of something. Also, a muhaqqiq does a lot of uh, 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 these words. The one who does the inaya, the one who does muhaqqiq, the one who does takhrij, These are all synonymous terms, actually, sometimes. And it can, it can differ. Sometimes the muhaqqiq will solely be making a dubbed of the text. What does that mean? You know, uh, these books, yani, I mean, this is new book, but the classic text of uh, 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 thingy, I'll show you if it's in here. Uh, no, it's not in here. I thought it could be in here, but it's not. Um, uh, you know what? It's like it's a manuscript, isn't it? Okay. And it's written in rough handwriting, and there's no tashkil and zabarir, fathah, kasra, nothing. And so, what this guy has to do basically is to find the, the, the manuscripts, and he's got to find more than one. He's got to get the manuscripts in this library, he's got to find the manuscripts in this house, he's got to go get five or six manuscripts, put them together, and then he compares each page. And then he's writing it out, typing it out, or writing it out neatly, and he's comparing, and there's always differences between the manuscripts, okay? Like a little thingy there, little thing there, little kind of changes of where this is hadihi, this is hadha, this is lam, and this is lamma. Yani, you've got to look carefully to work out is the fatha missing, alif missing, because it changes the meaning. So, this is called making tahqiq. What he does is that he authenticates the scripts, effectively translates old style, classical, written, handwritten Arabic in manuscripts to a modern style, clean writing in a book. That's the main job of the muhaqqiq as well. Muhaqqiq will also. Uh, put references in for ayat of Quran. The reference, the, the muhakkik will also uh, annotate certain words, put kasra fatah on it for the to make it easier for the reader. So you'll see, for example, um, in in this one, okay, right. If you look, is this coming uh, out? Yeah, okay. If you look there, okay, it says lir rijal. And you can see, if you look closely, that there is a kasra under the shadda, rijal, okay, lir rijal. 
But the reason that's there is because it might be that you might read it as Rajul, which means man. Okay? And whenever there's a. Uh, 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 and obviously, if you didn't know Arabic, you might just say Rajul. But a person who knows Arabic, he knows that this means Lil Rajul. Okay? Now, that Fatha or that Kasra there and the Shadda is there basically to help someone who's not so great in Arabic. And he needs a little bit of help to, de to decipher what it is. So he puts a little Kasra in. When and that kasra is only going to go into those words that can be pronounced a number of ways. Whereas if there's a word which is like I don't know, like like hada hada, you'll never find any fatha or, or kasra on hada because there's no other use of the word hada. It's only ever going to be hada when you see ha za and alif. It's always going to be hada. All right, um, you don't need to add anything. So, but the muhakkik on other words, what he will do is that he comes across a different difficult word which might have two, three different ways of pronouncing it. So therefore he's going to add diacritical marks and his kasra and whatever. This is also the job of, of the muhakkik. And all of this job is called tahqiq. And you will find that when you go buy a book like this Shaykh Mumtia, there's plenty of versions of this, okay? But we like this one with this tahqiq. The tahqiq of... Like actually, I didn't even know who the muhakkik of this is. Well, it's someone, it's, uh, I think there's... What's the name? We covered this before, I can't remember now. I can't remember who the name of the, who the name of the muhakkik is. I mean, the muassasa, the actual, um, the the or the foundation themselves, the foundation themselves have taken responsibility for it, but I don't know who the muhakkik is. I mean, this is not a very difficult job because these. Remember, just for for your own information, this book was audio, right? This was never written. This was Sheikh Al-Tamim teaching in the lesson, and like our transcribing team. Um, they basically wrote it all down, wrote every single word down, and basically when uh, with that she sends me uh, the the, uh, the, the, the the transcribing team, they send me the text. They have done their own tahqiq to it, so they will add all the it's you know beautiful. You'll see it. There all the diacritical marks, any confusion, any footnotes. They'll add references, hadith, Arabic, the hadith reference in English, the Quran, ayah in Arabic, blah 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 translation, and so on and so forth. It's much more detailed than my actual uh, actual speech. This is, book is exactly the same. This was Sheikh Uthameen did, and the notes that you have is my own version. And then I receive it, and then I'll go give it a double check, and I might add a couple more references. I'm the final muhakkik, you know? So it's a lot easier. When you're doing it from an old transcript, of course, a uh, manuscript, not transcript. When you're doing it from an old manuscript, though, it's a much more difficult job. So you have that type of muhakkik. So that's like the explanation of tahqiq. Yeah. Um, is it not the case that there are more than seven Uh, the answer, the answer is yes and no, but that's not a, that. Uh, the question is about the qiraat, okay? Um, and yes, there are of course uh, more. There are more than seven. The established qiraat are ten, and with the shahs ones are fourteen. And this qiraat, the, the science of qiraat is a very detailed one. With its different riwayat, obviously even more. It's different narrations, even more. But the seven are the seven famous ones, the seven well-known ones, and that's why they're called the Sabaiya. But that's not for now. Yeah. Why would the author have felt the need to make the point about what we do when the limb is cut, as it seems obvious in it? And is the same point commonly made in other books of fiqh? Good question. So why why would you do that? Why would the why would the um, why would the the Sheikh Yani have feel the need to talk about things like this? Uh, the, 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 the part of the limb um, And is it mentioned in other books First of all yes it is It is mentioned in other books Number two You think it's obvious And it is But it is Because you know you know 
we're intelligent people, whatever. But frankly, I don't think, honestly, I, I know, I, I know this, you might think this is crazy, but I don't think it's that far fetched that if I started here, uh, my robot here, my only had half an arm, I could imagine doing the whole arm. I could, or look at, especially if I had this arm. If I had this arm and I can see my washing this this much, yep, and then I've got here. I'd probably want to go up to here to kind of keep the balance. You know what I mean? So it's not as obvious as you think. And for example, the ball joint one, that's a very that's a very not obvious point. You might look at that and say, well, I don't even have a hand. I don't even have an arm. Yeah. But what we're saying is that you're right. You don't have an arm. But if you did have an arm, you would be washing up to that joint and past it. So what you've got is just the joint. So the answer is it's not obvious. And in fact, yeah, I mean, nothing is left to chance in principle and fiqh. Nothing. And that's good. So the ulama is a general term. The ulama means the scholars, okay? And so the ulama is uh, anyone who has knowledge. Muhaddithin and, and fuqaha are a very specific term that are applied to one of the, uh, you know, he's a scholar. What's his speciality? Well, he's a muhaddith. So that's how it would be used. He's a faqih. Um, so, and when, when it comes to which one is given precedence, then it depends upon its field. If we're talking about fiqh, then we, we give the... All the we give the, any, the, the, the we, we kind of, uh, we accept the expertise. It's like any, in a hospital, any, there's a consultant ENT and there's a consultant, something else, a surgeon. And they will consult with one another and then one of them will decide to, you know, one view will be stronger because that's a speciality. So it depends upon the operation. So every time it depends upon the field. So when it comes to now, this is why I, I, I think the lesson was best that we cut it because I will bring you now a hadith study of the dhikr that should be re recited. After the fuqaha are way too uh, lax with that. They're not too. I don't want to say they're lax. Because that, that makes it look like they don't know. They know. But they're, 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 their concern is not with that. Their concern. They've seen someone authenticated. That's good enough. They don't want to waste time. Any valuable time. Going into it. Studying again and again. If they did. They would find many mistakes and problems. And so they know that they've got the muhaddithin to deal with that. So sometimes they trust them. Sometimes the muhaddithin, muhaddithin get it wrong. Give them the wrong quality hadith. Yeah. Excellent question, um, and they will be dealt with next week, inshallah, um, uh, in detail, inshallah. But just for now, just for now, I'll just quickly make a statement that uh, authentically, we, as you will see, this hadith was considered to be weak, and this is the only one which really establishes looking up to the sky. So no, there is no looking up to the sky in the in the dua uh, that we make in the zikr that we make afterwards. We'll cover that zikr. So just for the time being. No, there's no, there's no looking up to the sky. The statement that Shaykh Uthameen was making was just using the weak hadith to establish a point. It's like, even in the weak hadith, hey, you see that? Even in the weak hadith, they're talking about Allah being high. It's just a side point to just make our aqidah much more stronger to know. Because obviously, 
Like, you know, people, they why they want to make it out that, oh, you know, you can't restrict Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to one place and this is restricting him, blah, 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 which is obviously a nonsense because no one restricts Allah to anything. We only say about Allah what he says himself. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says above the heavens, that's it. We don't say he's like this, sitting like that, blah, blah, all this nonsense. It's, that's, 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 that's bid'ah. So things like that. Yeah, we'll cover the rest of it next week. Uh, does the Hanbali sect take narrations with unknown companions as sahih? No, all of the uh, 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 all of the hadith scholars, all of the hadith, uh, as far as I know, consider yani, a companion who's mashhul to be a, a companion if he's unknown, the hadith is not affected. If the companion is un- unknown, meaning then the one who's narrating from the Prophet as long as the rest of the chain is authentic, a thika, then it is it is accepted. Everyone, I'd be very surprised if there's any scholar that would. Allah alam. But I'm talking about hadithin and fuqaha. I'm, talking, I'm not just talking about fuqaha. I'm saying this is part and parcel of the basic principles of hadith. Um, Shaykh, you mentioned how excellent Imam Bukhari's methodology is, but recently there have been talk of people revisiting Bukhari and saying there were actually a lot of mistakes. This really worries me because if we are not going to trust Bukhari for hadith, then who will we trust? If it is the elders, parents, uncles who are saying this sort of thing, how do we advise them that they should not disregard Bukhari's books, hadith, as it means they could not then disregard all the other books of hadith and not not be as keen on certain Islamic rules which are based on hadith? Well, exactly. It's a good point. Um, I don't think it's that common, but I mean, obviously, I mean, we, you have one, we, you have a certain group of deviants who don't even consider hadith, then obviously we're not talking about them. But the issue here is that there are some people who believe that uh, hadith in Bukhari uh, need to be looked at again in terms of modern light, kind of uh, uh, modern scientific kind of discovery or because it doesn't make sense to them or blah, blah, blah. These people are, of course, deviants and then they are right on the edge of kufr itself uh, when, when a hadith is established and they don't believe it because of their aql. This is like a really dangerous place to be, all right? It's different from a scholar who looks at one hadith and he's convinced that one of these narrations is not authentic, okay? And he's got the proof to consider this hadith, this narrator is not the authentic. That's an academic discussion. The majority of these people, when you see in the lay people saying, I don't accept hadith from Bukhari, whatever, whatnot, they have no idea. If they, the brother asks, you know, how do we deal with these people? The way you deal with these people is to see whether they accept ulama and scholarly principles. And you give them the introduction of uh, of Ibn Hajr al-Asqalani's Fattalbari. And you will see yani, the entire introduction yani, is just a slap down of anyone who considers there to be any weak hadith in Bukhari. Academic, proper, all the rules, all the proofs, all the evidences. Now, these people, 99.9% of them, they're not, not of that caliber. They're not that. They are rejecting hadith. For example, they say that, um, and, uh, you know, there are, there are modern day people, you know, modern day scholars, okay, that we know, even speakers that we know, um, who speak in this area that made mistakes. And so if you ever see someone who says that I don't respect, like for example, the hadith in Bukhari about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that the sun prostrates beneath the arsh of Ar-Rahman, okay, every day, the sun prostrates between the arsh of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And someone says, well, you know what it is? That's not possible because I see the sun, because we see the sun here, sitting here, and it's rising over there. And it sets here, it rises here, and it sets over there. So what point is it going to prostrate? And what point is it? Is it yani, resting or prostrating or whatever under the arsh of Allah? That doesn't make sense. Because what I'm seeing makes sense and, and that don't make sense. 
So therefore, this hadith is not an authentic hadith. This is the methodology of deviancy, meaning that it's not from it's not uh, the ahl sunnah, ahl sunnah, the people of sunnah, ahl jama'ah, the Muslims have agreed that if a hadith is authentic, and I mean all of the sects, all of the madhhabs, all of the different aqidah groups, even like from Salafis, Ashari's, yani, uh, everyone, it's not an aqidah, it's not a it's not a group thing. This is an aqidah. This is a, a point of consensus that if the hadith is authentic, then it goes. Meaning, if the hadith itself doesn't contradict any uh, Quran or anything like that, um, or something which is more authentic, and the hadith has got the narrators all established, all of them absolutely superb, thicka, trustworthy, proper people, then it's impossible to reject that hadith. That is hadith that is clear knowledge from Allah subhanahu wa taala. That's divine revealed knowledge. And so the people who rejected this hadith, okay, they did it because they 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 themselves their aql can't handle it. And uh, looking at the sun and thinking, how's that happening? So this is deviancy, Billah. And these people need to be advised that the aql itself, okay, the aql is subservient to the naql. The naql is the text, okay? What ma what has been narrated is the uh, is the naql. And the aql is this. And this is the deviancy of putting the aql on top of the naql. What, what do we say? We say the naql, the text itself is on top of the aql. Meaning that your aql is subservient to the to the text, the text if it's established in authenticity, it's divine in origin. It's from Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. The text, the, the, whether you understand it or not, is your problem. It's your deficiency, and you've got to increase your own knowledge. You've got to work out yani, your own problems. Like me, you ask me that hadith is sahih. It is sahih as this as I'm sitting here right now. How does it work? I ain't got a daddy. <laughs> I ain't got a daddy. And you know, a wonderful thing about being Muslim is that Alhamdulillah, my iman knows. That as long as I've established this hadith is from the Prophet ﷺ, then I know that if the Prophet ﷺ, as the statement of Sayyidina Abu Bakr al-Siddiq, yani he said, you know, they said to him this and that, whatever, blah de blah Abu Bakr al-Siddiq, he goes, what's that, man? He goes, you're telling me this? He goes, I believe that this guy, he went all the way to the heavens in one night, <laughs> up like this, and you're telling me this? Are you kidding me? So I don't care what the Prophet ﷺ tells me, I'm accepting it, as long as it's authentic. And so... Uh, so, uh, you know, how it happens, is it figurative, is it metaphorical, is this, that? it doesn't matter. You know, if I found a real reason to go and investigate and give an explanation for it, I would. But Allah knows best, I mean, you know, so that's, so this is a very dangerous thing. Alhamdulillah, it's not so much, it, the, the ironic thing, of course, is that uh, people who normally do that, they have an agenda. They need to be able to discredit either a book or discredit a narrator, like Abu Huraira, like, uh, uh, like Abdullah ibn Amr al-As, for example. Uh, the whole uh, a topical issue is uh, uh, feminism or secular feminists. Okay, those who are uh, feminists and they are taking their kind of feminism from the principles of like I don't know, like uh, from you know from the what's the ideological founders like X and Y and Z. What's really interesting about about this movement is that um, and so why they're deviants, of course, is because. They reject statements of the Prophet ﷺ which talk about women, for example, women in leadership and their and their positions and women in uh, women the fact that they don't pray, uh, women that don't read the prayer or this or that, whatever, whatever it is. The point is, is that those secular feminists, okay, these are people who deny these concepts, they, uh, they, they deny it because they don't believe in it, because their West has, has you know, has blown their mind, basically. And so now they, now they realize that's not going to go, that's not going to roll with the Muslims. So what is going to roll the Muslims? Ah, academic discussion, try and create a straw man argument, try and kind of establish something. This is what we discussed in Al-Adab al-Mufrad, series one. 
what they will do then is that they will look at a certain companion trying to dig up as much dirt as possible on that on that on that individual and if they are able to discredit him and say that actually you know what he was punished he was considered to be a liar by the other companions and he was not allowed to re relate narrations and oh hello guess who narrated that hadith about uh women uh, not being in leadership oh it was abdullah bin amr al-as or it was x or it was y and so therefore how can you say to us that this hadith so this is how they do their pseudo intellectual kind of nonsense fake they try to create any things which they if they create themselves for themselves the hypothesis and the conclusion then they just try and find in you know, some way to prove it this is the modern kind of way of islamic feminism which is, has secular roots um that's a very common thing and so so there are groups with agendas the scientific group are those that don't care about this that whatever they just care about what they can understand what they can't don't understand so they will deny other bukhari hadith so everyone has their own little game uh, two more questions. Yeah. Uh, Musa uh, Faizer states that according to the du'a, the du'a is Ashhadu Allah ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah and not Abduhu wa Rasuluhu. Your thoughts there? I I agree. I agree, and that's what I will be. Uh, that's what I will be putting out um, next week, inshallah. Not only that, actually, and I also don't believe that the shahada is part of it. It's Ashhadu Allah ilaha illallah wa anna Muhammad Rasulullah. So th this is actually a, a detailed study. There is a lot of difference between the ulama on exactly what is said um and uh but i will as i said i'll expound upon that next week he, uh, he has a point uh, his point is just copying the the previous ulama the ulama have gone into a lot of detail in this yeah uh, last and final regarding whitening the hair if a woman would like to beautify her hair for her husband on her wedding night and in her marriage generally and does not want to continue wudu water to ruin her hairstyle is it okay if she takes a shafi way of making wudu by wetting three strands of hair at the back of her head instead of wiping her whole head? If she can, would she do the wudu as she she was taught, whether Hanafi, Hanbali, etc., but just wipe her head in the shafi way, or does she have to now do wudu all of it in the shafi way with all the rules of the shafi pool? I hope to God that you picked that question up on the microphone because I'm not repeating it, but I understood it. I want to basically say that I don't believe it's acceptable personally the opinion to just wipe on three hairs or anything like that. I believe the head has to be wiped. The head has to be wiped. Uh, the only exception for wiping the head, I believe, is if it's covered with something. If it's covered, you can wipe over the cover. Therefore, unfortunately, my dear sister um, and any other sister who is, yani, you know, getting themselves ready for the big night, yani, um, you will need to just pray first, basically. Pray first. And uh, make sure that you don't need to make wudu again. <laughs> Astaghfirullah. Okay. And uh, use a hairnet or shower cap or whatever it is. And um, that's not going to help anyway. SubhanAllah. That's a fail that. Yeah, I don't know, man. But you're going to have to wipe. Don't use so much water, that's all. You don't need to use so much water, isn't it? You can wipe your hands. I'm oh, sorry. You can uh, wipe your hands. And you can just allow the water to drip. And you don't have to... We said the sunnah is to uh, allow a little bit of water to be dripping, but if not, and then uh, we said take it easy, and you don't have to go, you know, through the hair, ruin your perm or whatever. If you've got some, I don't even know what women have got. I don't know. She's already married to you. Okay, all right. No, no, I'm not talking about her. I'm talking about any woman, right? Let's just say that that you know, a woman's got permed hair or some kind of hair. I don't know. Yeah. So you can just, yeah, you know. <laughs> Why not, man? You know what I mean? I gave I gave that opinion anyway last time. That's how you do it. 
you're asking me to relate for me and it's just this and that and there's nothing there خلاص, yeah. okay guys Jazakumullah khair thank you for tuning in I apologize for the fractured nature of this lesson uh, next week inshallah we'll be back to normal and uh, 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 those students who didn't attend first weekend uh, fiqh of death in uh, Manchester you have the ability to uh, if you contact uh Al-Maghrib uh, uh, on their Facebook page then you have the option of attending the second weekend which is where I'll be covering the Janazah prayer, the burial and inheritance, the science of inheritance and filling the wills uh, so even if you've missed the first weekend which was all about uh, washing and uh, the principles and concepts of death actually there's quite a lot of legal uh, stuff coming for the second weekend it's possible for you to attend you contact them on the page and they'll let you know Jazakumullah khair subhanakallahu bihamdik أشهد أن لا إله إلا أنت وأستغفرك اللهم وأتوب إليك السلام عليكم ورحمة الله um, They were on the phone telling you if it's working it's not what to It wasn't helping At all No I, uh, He just said that I was a bit slow I said I'm like uh, Who was a bit slow with it? Oh, theirs, yeah, because they're rubbish, yeah? Yeah, but oh. I'm like, 